Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. By the way, if you're up at this hour and uh, listening live, take a look out the window if you're on the Paradise Coast. What a beautiful sunrise it is. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. You can find out more by visiting the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Keith Flaw. Keith is a co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. We'll also visit with Michael Cannon. He is Director of Health Care Studies. Uh, for the Cato Institute, we'll visit with Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government, and visit with former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett, will be joining us as well. A little piece of history, it's September the 10th, and on this day in 1833, President Andrew Jackson announced that the government will no longer use the second bank of the United States, the country's national bank, uh, he also used his executive power to remove all federal funds from the bank in the final salvo of what he referred to as the Bank War. A national bank had been first created by George Washington and Alexander Hamilton in 1791 to serve as a central repository for federal funds. The Second Bank of the United States was founded in 1816, five years after the First Bank's charter had expired. Traditionally, the bank had been run by the board of directors with ties to industry and manufacturing and therefore was biased towards the urban and industrial northern states. Jackson, the epitome of the frontiersman, resented the bank's lack of funding for expansion of the unsettled western territories. Jackson also objected to the bank's unusual political and economic power and to the lack of congressional oversight over its business dealings. He was known as an obstinate and brutish man of the common people, of course, and called for an investigation into the bank's policies and political agenda as soon as it settled into the White House in March 1829. To Jackson, the bank symbolized how a privileged class of business people oppressed the will of the common people of America. He made clear he planned to challenge the constitutionality of the bank, much to the horror of its supporters. In response, director of the bank, Nicholas Biddle, flexed his own political power, uh, turning to members of Congress, including the powerful Kentucky Senator Henry Clay, and leader businessman and sympathetic to the bank to the fight to fight Jackson. Later that year, Jackson presented his case against the bank in a speech to Congress. To his chagrin, his members generally agreed that the bank was indeed constitutional. Still, controversy over the bank lingered for the next three years. In 1832, the divisiveness led to the split in Jackson's cabinet, and the same year, the obstinate president vetoed an attempt by Congress to draw up a new charter for the bank. All this took place during Jackson's bid for re-election. The bank's future was the focal point of the bitter political campaign between the Democratic incumbent Jackson and his opponent, Henry Clay. Jackson's promises to empower the common man of America appealed to the voters and paved the way for his victory. He felt he had received a mandate from the public to close the bank once and for all, despite the Congress's objections. Biddle vowed to continue to fight the president, saying that just because he had scalped Indians and imprisoned <laughs> judges does not mean he has had to have his way with the bank. On the 10th of September in 1833, Jackson removed all federal funds from the Second Bank of the United States, redistributing them to various state banks, which were popularly known as pet banks. In addition, he announced the deposits in the bank would not be ex accepted after October the 1st. Finally, Jackson had succeeded in destroying the bank. Its charter officially expired in 1836. Jackson didn't emerge unscathed from the scandal. In 1834, Congress censured Jackson for what they viewed as his abuse of presidential power during the bank war. Such an interesting story. Of course, we ended up with our own central bank and uh, with lots of inflation. That's a whole other story, but Jackson fought the bank and fought for the common man. Uh, I think he was the seventh president of the United States, if I'm not mistaken. The Florida Department of Health reported 22 new cases of COVID-19 and three additional deaths in Collier County on Wednesday. The three additional deaths are a 67-year-old woman who had contact with a known case, a 75-year-old man, and a 49-year-old woman who had contact with a known case. So Collier County's cumulative total of cases is 187. 
Now, according to the BBC, British Broadcasting Corporation, on COVID-19 and PCR tests, 40% 40 amplification cycles results in massive numbers of false positive cases and therefore false positive deaths. So it just raises the questions because we're using... Uh, these particular uh, tests to determine if people have COVID-19, they're so sensitive that uh, they, some, in some cases, could be picking up dead virus. So we, we talked about this with Phil Kirpin earlier in the week, and it's a real problem, but uh, nevertheless, the deaths are greatly amplified. What information can we really trust about what's going on? Well, the good news is the new case increased Collier's cumulative total to 12,000 on Wednesday. The seven-day average for cases declined to 36 through Tuesday, less than half of the seven-day average on August the 15th, which was 78. And, of course, at the high point on July 13th, the average number of cases per day, new cases, was 221. Uh, This is after a week after school has started. So uh, this, to me, is a good indication Let's uh, keep our fingers crossed. At approximately 11 a.m. on Wednesday, there were 40 COVID-19 patients in Collier County hospitals, certainly not overwhelming the health care system. Well, this, uh, this story to me is really important. U.S. Marshals announced this week that they located and rescued eight missing children in Indiana. The missing children recovered in Operation Homecoming were said to be highly endangered. The children were considered to be some of the most at-risk and challenging recovery cases in the area based on indications of high-risk factors such as victimization of child se- sex trafficking, child exploitation, sex abuse, physical abuse, and mental medical or mental health conditions that according to the statement released by the U.S. Marshal Service in the Southern District of Indiana, the missing children who were between the ages of 6 and 17 were rescued and handed over to Indiana Department of Child Services. During the five-day Operation Homecoming in Indianapolis, one adult was arrested and faces charges related to parental kidnapping, intimidation, weapons possession, custodial interference, and the United States Marshal Services stated that over the the last two weeks, uh, they've announced a rescue of 72 children. Uh, they said that the quarter of the endangered children were victims of human trafficking and prostitution. Can you believe that? So I really applaud this effort by the U.S. Marshals. There are, uh, this is shocking, 421,394 entries for missing children in 2019. 400,000. Can you believe that? That, according to FBI's National Crime Information Center, the U.S. Marshals helped recover 295 missing children in 2019 and more than 1,800 since teaming up with the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children in 2005. More than 1,800 recovered. Can you imagine how desperate parents must feel losing a child and not knowing what happened to them? Great work by the U.S. Marshals. In addition to that, the federal government, through Operation Legend, has reversed Chicago's surge in violence, making more than 500 arrests and charging 124 people with federal crime charges since it started. That, according to U.S. General uh, Attorney General William Barr, he said that in a press conference on Wednesday morning in the Windy City, uh, and of course, uh, mayor, the mayor of uh, Boston or uh, Chicago is nowhere to be seen. Since April, cutting the rate roughly in half since before the operation, the results of those actions speak for themselves. Over the last five weeks of Operation Legend in Chicago, murders dropped by 50% over the previous five weeks. So great. Again, uh, maybe the local police aren't uh, doing their work and being hamstrung by the uh, by uh, elected officials like the mayor. But uh, certainly federal officials are getting in there and using federal law to clean the mess up uh, Operation Legend. Of course, it's perhaps most dramatic here in Chicago, Barr said. When the operation was announced on July 22nd, homicides in the city were up 51% over 2019. Over the previous weekend, more than 60 people have been shot in Chicago with over a dozen fatalities. According to the Chicago Sun-Times, despite a decrease in violence during the month of August, murders have actually increased by 50% so far this year compared to last. So a great operation by the part of Attorney General Barr. Just salute to the U.S. Marshals as well as to federal officials for helping to clean up some of the violence that's going around the United States. 
By the way, Operation Legend is an ongoing government effort to combat surging crime in parts of the country, uh, according to uh, Attorney General William Barr. Well, the uh, liberal media has launched its latest coordinated attack on Republican President Donald Trump. You can expect these liberal attacks on the president every week until election on November 3rd. He defended comments he made earlier this year about the coronavirus pandemic in interviews with journalist Bob Woodward telling uh, Hannity on Fox News that he wanted to show a calmness. I'm the leader of the country. I can't be jumping up and down and scaring people, he so told Sean Hannity. I don't want to scare people. I want people not to panic, and that's exactly what I did, he said. Excerpts from some of the interviews, uh, which formed the basis for Woodward's forthcoming book, Rage, uh, were published by the Washington Post early on Wednesday. And by the way, I, I don't understand. The Senator Lindsey Graham encouraged the president to sit down with Woodward uh, for the uh, details for this book. He thought that would be a good idea. Whose side is Lindsey Graham on anyhow? Any, any event, in early February, Trump told Woodward that the coronavirus was deadly stuff while publicly comparing it to the seasonal flu, more than a month later, on March the 17th, Trump admitted to Woodward that he wanted to play, always play it down, of course, to keep people calm. So now Woodward and others are trying to play this up like Trump didn't take it seriously, and it's his fault that all these people have died. You know, it's just, uh, what we're just gonna, this is going to be background noise until November 3rd. And once he's elected, it'll continue. He tried to, <laughs> Woodward is trying to frame, and uh, by the way, Fauci said the president wasn't distorting anything when he spoke to the press. It follows an earlier defense of Trump from White House Press Secretary Kayleigh McAnally, uh, who said that uh, when you're facing insurmountable challenges, it's important to express confidence, it's important to express calm. And he made it clear that he didn't want to see chaos. And by the way, which is the second part of the quote, which he failed to read, she continued addressing a reporter who had read that quote. So uh, I think this is all going to blow over. It's not going to have the intended result. And uh, fortunately, I think the left is losing its voice because nobody's beginning, <laughs> at least from my standpoint, I don't understand how people can believe this nonsense. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning Naples, longest established air conditioning company. I hope you visit the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Coming up, we're going to visit with Keith Flaw, the co-founder of a terrific organization, the Florida Citizens Alliance. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Gulf Shore Playhouse, devoted to creating professional New York-style theater at its very best and at affordable prices, presents a fabulous new season of productions beginning in November with a world premiere of a one-man show written by and starring the talented associate artistic director of Gulf Shore Playhouse, Jeffrey Bender. Pinup Girls opens in January, singing a cavalcade of hits inspired by real letters from our troops overseas. Inspired by what they find funny, romantic, heartbreaking, and sexy, the ladies put on a show that celebrate the guys and gals who fight to defend our country. 
Bang Bang opens in March, written by legendary actor of Monty Python fame, John Cleese. You'll surely be wiping away tears of laughter with this one. William Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream opens in March. Meddling parents, impetuous young lovers, and cunning fairies collide in Shakespeare's enchanting classic. Another Revolution by Jacqueline Bircher opens in May. You won't want to miss this timely new work about finding hope in one another through the uncertainty of the world around us. What a terrific season of productions. Tickets for this great new season are available now. Tickets start at only $38. Tickets can be purchased by calling the box office at 866-811-4111 or visiting the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can get tickets now by visiting the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Michael Cannon. He is the health, uh, Director of Healthcare Studies at the Cato Institute. Right now we have with us Keith Flaw. Keith is a co-founder of a terrific organization and only eight years doing great things to have influence on public education. Keith Flaw, it's called the Florida Citizens Alliance. Keith, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Keith. Tell us about the Florida Citizens Alliance. Well, we're a coalition, a growing coalition of uh, here in Florida of well over 100 groups. Um, well, well over 100 groups now. Uh, we have uh, 70,000 people that are in our active uh, database. We're making a, um, you know, we focus on improving education. And to, to us, that means uh, supporting uh, parental choice options. We have some great scholarship programs here in Florida. Uh, we're also encouraging parents to homeschool. Um, there's a, a lot of challenges and failures in our public school system. And it, uh, we think it's a uh, uh, far far better serves a, uh, an individual child to, to be homeschooled if the parent can do that. So, And there's lots of ways to do that, a success. I've just talked to a parent who's homeschooling, and uh, uh, there's some really helpful information on your website, goflca.org, goflca.org. Speaking of... Uh, Education, uh, there's been a lawsuit about uh, starting schools. The Commissioner Corcoran of Education, uh, Florida, uh, said that all schools were required to start class in uh, August in brick-and-mortar schools, and uh, there's been a lawsuit about that. Any update? What's going on? Well, we talked about it briefly last week. The uh, uh, a circuit court, uh, the, the suit was originally filed in Miami and Orange County, and then it was moved, the venue was moved up to Tallahassee. Uh, and the circuit court judge up there declared the order, uh, back-to-school order, to be unconstitutional. And since it was a government agency that was being sued, my understanding is that there's a, uh, when a judge at the lower level does that, there's an automatic stay associated with it. Well, this circuit court judge decided to vacate that stay, which in effect meant if his order stood, uh, that the schools uh, opening schools was unconstitutional. Uh, the appellate court um, uh, immediately ruled, and, and they're, they're hearing the case now, but they immediately ruled, and I wonder, it's fascinating uh, what they said to that court judge, so I'm going to read it to you just briefly. Uh, so this is the appellate court, first appellate court, and they said, we hold that the circuit court abused its discretion in three respects when it vacated this, the automatic stay. First, no compelling circumstances warranted, uh, warranted vacating the stay. Second, based on our preliminary review, the state has a substantial likelihood of succeeding in, in their uh, merits of, the, of this appeal. And third, the appealees failed to show that the uh, uh, that instatement of the, of the automatic stay would cause irreparable harm. So pretty aggressive language to the, to the circuit court judge. Yeah. Uh, the case is supposed to be, uh, they're expecting the, the appellate court to rule uh, yet this week, uh, I just talked to my contact in the Florida Department of Education. So, um, but they and they're obviously based on this wording, expecting a favorable uh, overturning of the original circuit court's decision. Yeah, and I mean, isn't the horse already out of the barn? At schools have started. I think the momentum, the inertia already in the situation is <laughs> right. is is over. So uh, that's yeah. so interesting. By the way, just putting your ear to the ground, how's 
how's school opening going? Uh, do you have any uh, anecdotal evidence or anything that's uh, uh, what's what's happening? Um, for the most part, it's going as smoothly as the DOE expected. Uh, they're well up over a million um, schools or students back in school. We have 2.8 million kids in Florida in government schools. Uh, I'm hearing that about 40 percent. I've heard numbers from 35 to 42 of the, of the kids have uh, and parents have selected uh, distance learning. Um, so huh. they're 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 still learning at home, uh, but uh, and. Parents are, and this is very anecdotal, but we're we're getting examples from parents who are really upset about some of the content that they're now seeing that where they you know they, they wouldn't normally see it. Um, so uh, just some very uh, um, well, you're, le- left left wing political stuff. Yeah, you know, propaganda. Right? So, uh, yeah. Keith, I understand you're opening a new website to support parents and information for parents. Yes, we are, and it's. Uh, uh, it's called libertyscholar.org. Um, it's targeted at, at parents, and it's a, a meant to be a resource hub uh, for parents to, um, t- to take charge of their child's education. And when, when you, uh, we encourage your listeners to go take a look at it. Um, it's, uh, it offers, uh, it really has four major areas. Uh, if your child is enrolled in a public school or private school, there's a whole bunch of information there for you. Um, to learn more about homeschooling, uh, extensive um, information about how to homeschool, uh, lots of stories about moms uh, who are homeschooling and, and how rewarding it is hmm. um, to, to, to build those relationships with their child rather than shuffling them off to a, a government school. Uh, we go into the um, the scholarships in, in Florida extensively. So uh, if you decide you still want to send your child to um, a more traditional school, uh, but but, a, uh, but the scholarships focus on sending kids primarily to private schools. So there's a whole section on that. And then we have a community section. Uh, so it's really uh, just general information for the community. Um, so it's it's a powerful website. It's uh, we've had it in beta mode, uh, getting input from um, lots of different people over the last month, and uh, getting some really positive input. So, well, you know uh, what? I, and I was fumbling here for a pencil. I, I want to check the website out after the show's over. What what's, again is the website? LibertyScholar.org. LibertyScholar.org. Well, Keith, I mean, congratulations. I think that's terrific, having a resource uh, directed directly towards parents, because I'm sure they have a lot of questions on what's happening in schools right now. And I guess most importantly, you're offering alternatives for how to handle different situations. Sure. No, it really is powerful, and and we'll we'll continue to grow it. And uh, we've actually... uh, just hired a, a young man who's who's going to be doing stories, uh, interviewing uh, parents both in traditional schools and homeschooling, and so uh, we'll be adding that content uh, to you know to the website as we move through time. Outstanding. So before I let you go, uh, Keith, I know you're having a uh, challenge right now to uh, support. Uh, your organization, uh, the Florida Citizens Alliance, it costs money to do these things. By the way, you guys, and I'm talking about Pastor Rick and yourself. I mean, you you pay you're paying for these trips up to Tallahassee and back out of your own pocket. So uh, you don't have these big salaries and that kind of thing that a lot of uh, not for profits offer. So uh, tell us how we can support uh, you. Well, we don't even have small salaries. None of us take a salary <laughs> of any kind. Yeah. Um, and all of our travel is on our own dime. But uh, back on uh, the 17th of, of August, we kicked off what we call a Liberty Challenge, and our goal was to raise $100,000. Uh, as of uh, tomorrow, uh, we're, we'll be putting some uh, uh, some pledges in today. We've received the checks. We'll be sitting right at $70,000 against that $100,000 challenge. And within that, uh, we have fifteen. We have two donors who have put up fifteen thousand dollars worth of matching. So, uh, you know, the, the, for the people who are willing to donate any amount, uh, it's doubled uh, until we reach that, um, you know, that fifteen thousand dollar match. So uh, we're well on our way. Uh, the the uh, challenge time frame was set to end October ninth, um, and. Uh, we we just invite people who are interested in uh, you know the future of liberty in our country 
and that centers, of course, around our kids. Yeah, so uh, goflca.org is the website. Do check it out. Make a donation. Goflca.org. I, I'm just very proud of the work that you're doing, Keith. Very impressed. And again, uh, we just bring a lot of things to our attention. Goflca.org. And make a contribution. Keith, genuinely appreciate your commentary here in the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Have a great weekend, Bob. You as well. Thank you. All right. Coming up, uh, we're going to visit with Michael Cannon. He is a uh, research fellow, uh, the director of healthcare studies at the uh, Cato Institute. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining to choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative. And you can find out more by visiting the website, uh, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with um, the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. Right now we have with us Michael Cannon. Michael is a uh, director of healthcare studies at the Cato Institute. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. Tell us about the Cato Institute. Uh, so, the Cato Institute is a libertarian think tank in Washington, D.C. We've been around since, oh gosh, 1977. And uh, we want you to be able to make all the decisions that impact your life rather than having the government make them for you. In, particularly in my area, is healthcare, and that means that uh, we want to respect, have the government respect your healthcare rights, which means your right to control your healthcare dollars, control your healthcare decisions, and uh, uh, one of the reasons we want that is not only because it's right, but because you end up with better health care when you respect those rights. Well, you've got a big theater of operation, I will say, because we've not got government intrusion into the, the, the health care area more than just about anything else. So uh, a big job ahead of you. Now, you wrote a, a column, and I found this to be f- uh, fascinating. Maybe you could give us the details on it. It's called A Lobbyist for Private Insurance Companies Defends Taking Coverage Away from the Sick. Maybe you can tell us about it. So that's an interesting area uh, of uh, uh, our healthcare rights. Uh, it involves the right to your right to choose how to pool your healthcare 
or your medical expenses with others or your right not to pool your medical expenses with others. Uh, the government infringes on that right in lots of ways by, uh, well, it tried to, for a time to compel people to purchase insurance through the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare's individual mandate. Mm -hmm. But there are also lots of other ways, uh, e even if the government doesn't force you to buy insurance, uh, the Affordable Care Act imposes a lot of requirements on you to pool your to pool medical expenses in ways you might not want if you do choose to purchase insurance. Uh, there are a lot of regulations that uh, that uh, that increase the cost of health insurance by forcing younger people to subsidize older people uh, by prohibiting insurance companies from uh, setting premiums according to risk. The, the regulations requiring people to buy coverage they don't want, like uh, coverage for maternity care or contraceptives coverage. And, uh, and yet, there's also a part of federal law, uh, an exemption from all of those requirements that dates all the way back to 1996 and that Congress left intact when it created the Affordable Care Act for something called short-term limited duration insurance. Now, Congress didn't define what that means, but there is this market for health insurance where you can choose whether your health plan covers uh, maternity care, where you hmm. can choose the deductibles uh, and, and the coinsurance, and where insurance companies can offer lower-risk uh, customers, younger and healthier enrollees, lower premiums. And those premiums are often 70% less than Affordable Care Act premiums. Okay, wow. so what does all this have to do with the insurance companies trying to take away health insurance for the sick? Well, uh, proponents of the Affordable Care Act don't like that this exemption exists. And so they've tried to make that coverage really unattractive so that as a way to force people to buy the much more expensive Obamacare coverage. Hmm. Uh, the Obama administration imposed, pulled out of thin air and imposed a rule that says that these so-called short-term plans can only last three months. The rule had been they can last as long as 12 months. Hmm. Uh, but when the Obama administration imposed that rule, what that did was it threw people out of their short-term plans after three months, even if they had just gotten a pre or they had just gotten an expensive diagnosis. And that means that uh, because Obamacare doesn't let you purchase insurance until November or December every year. Right. If you lose your insurance after you've gotten an expensive diagnosis, then you're out of luck. Obamacare does deny you coverage if you have a pre-existing condition in those cases, and there have been patients who have been thrown out of their health insurance and faced $100,000 in medical bills. <sighs> the Trump administration reversed that, and uh, some insurance companies let those plans last for 12 months, so you wouldn't have a gap in coverage if that happened. But some uh, insurance companies that sell Obamacare coverage want to reimpose that three-month limitation and throw people out of their competitors' health insurance plans, leaving them with no health insurance uh, to cover an expensive condition, and so facing you know maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars in medical bills. They went to court to try to get that three-month limit reimposed, uh, but the courts have so far rejected those efforts. Yeah. And the column that I wrote was about how an insurance company was defending their legal strategy and, and their business strategy of getting the government to throw sick people out of their health insurance in order to help those insurance companies' bottom line. You know, the whole thing is so convoluted and unbelievable. Is there any way out of getting back to private markets, allowing uh, having patient-centric health care and health insurance and uh, perhaps with health care savings accounts and uh, <laughs> with a catastrophic coverage as opposed to first-dollar first, first dollar coverage? And all this stuff is just driving up the cost of insurance. Why can't it be more simple? Well, it could be more simple if we would respect people's health care rights, if we would let people control their health care dollars rather than have the government or employers control that money, and if we would let people make their own health care decisions, like whether to buy insurance and how much insurance to buy and what kind of insurance. And, uh, and that also includes the right to, uh, uh, to choose innovative types of health plans without regulations blocking those. 
And if we did that, we would see healthcare prices plummet. Yes. We would see healthcare come within the reach of people who cannot afford it today. Yep. And, uh, and we could see evidence of this in places where we do give these market forces some room to breathe, like uh, the short-term market that I mentioned, which uh, the federal government has said uh, uh, can provide not just short-term coverage, but can offer something called renewal guarantees that turn that short-term coverage into long-term coverage. Uh, and, and so what we really have in a short-term market is a, is a private free market alternative that yeah. can compete with the Affordable Care Act to provide secure health insurance. You know, Mike, I want to have you come back on the show, and I would like you to describe uh, what you believe pre- the President Trump's uh, policy should be to advance health care in the next four years. Would you be willing to do that? Happy to do it. Okay. Mike, I just genuinely appreciate your support and uh, being on the show here today. Cato.org is the website. C-A-T-O.org. Again, Michael Cannon, thank you so much for joining us. Anytime, Bob. Take care. Uh, you too. All right. Coming up, uh, we're going to be visiting. By the way, yeah, Cato, as you'll notice, I have uh, several guests on the, from the Cato Institute because I respect so much their mission, which is, of course, uh, keeping government intrusion out of our lives and keeping them focused on their real purpose, which is what? It's protecting us from internal and external predators and allowing us to live our lives. Coming up, we're going to visit with Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For the best in food and drink as well as great live entertainment, go to the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar. Formerly known as Weekend Willie's, the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar has terrific new local owners offering a great new upscale decor and a fabulous new menu. Linda and I are weekly regulars to hear live blues, but you can stop by anytime for great food and drink, to watch your favorite sporting event, or to hear great live entertainment five nights a week. The Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar is located at 5310 Shirley Street, just off Pine Ridge Road, and it's open from 11 a.m. until close every day. Visit the website dogtoothnaples.com or call 431-7004. That's 431-7004. I hope we'll see you there. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. Visit the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. Right now we have with us Seton Motley. Seton is the founder and publisher of Less Government. Seton, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, sir. Oh, boy, just as you come on, the dog goes nuts there's a, there's a lizard on the uh, deck, apparently. <laughs> well, that's... I'm um, sorry about that. Then no no worries, Seton. Tell us about less government. Yeah, we exist to reduce the size, scope, and sphere of influence of government, and it's a chore. It is a big job. It's actually three jobs and a, two chores, but go ahead. <laughs> so, Seton, you wrote this column, which I found extremely fascinating. Yet another deep state swamp creature committing crony insurrection. Maybe you can tell us about it. Yeah, you know, uh, there's... When Trump first won, there's a famous tweet by former thinking person Bill Kristol, who exhorted 
bureaucrats in the in the uh, in the various agencies and boards and commissions and and and, and departments to just not implement the Trump agenda. Mm-hmm. You know, well, that's an insurrection. That's illegal. That's we elected him to do what he said he was going to do. By the way, see, I'm not sure, I'm not sure he really needed to send that tweet because they're doing it anyhow. Oh, they're do- they were doing it anyway, but, <laughs> but, but it called attention to the fact that. The casual corruption of it, was, yeah. which is just, he felt comfortable and confident enough to call for it publicly, yeah. um, is amazing. And, um, of course, thousands, tens of thousands, you know, the, the federal government, I think, has four or five million employees. Right. Which, of course, is about four or five million too many. But, but you know, a lot of them are career bureaucrats. Here's the first guy in 50 years that's not going to play ball, that's not going to go along to get along in the D.C., you know, D.C. first, America last uh, game that's been played forever. Right. Uh, and so they started doing it. They did it all over the place. They're, you know, they're leaking stuff. They're slow-walking stuff. They're not working on stuff they're supposed to be working on. Sometimes they're working, uh, often they're working against uh, the interests of uh, the or the agenda of the administration, um, and this is one one instance I was talking about uh, working against. And um, what you know, I think look, he's a, this guy, Mark Delram. He's a smart guy, I'm sure. He's a lawyer. He's he's worked in big firms when he's not working in the government. Uh, I, I don't think this is an accident. What's happening here? But he's the head of. Uh, the Justice Department's antitrust division. Uh-huh. Now, now, uh, and before that, he, he was he was in a, a lesser position in the Bush administration. Left, went to the private sector and worked at a law firm in antitrust and intellectual property. And so, some of his clients were Google and Apple. <laughs> so he did tech work. He did for big tech. Then he comes back and heads up Trump's antitrust division. Um, well, as you know, it was announced this week, you know, it was, it was announced last year that Bill Barr, the Attorney General, was going to launch a huge antitrust investigation into a lot of big tech companies. Right. And, and this week he announced that uh, he, they were a couple weeks away from Google. That, that was going to be their first antitrust filing. And, of course, several career lawyers and bureaucrats in the uh, antitrust division said, this is too soon. This is too fast. Meanwhile, before, prior to that, a bunch had quit. A bunch had, uh, had, had just not worked on it because they were offended by it. Yeah. And now they're saying it's too fast. Well, it's not too fast. Barr wants to get, actually make progress, and they're dragging their feet. Well, Mark M. Delram had to recuse himself from the, from the Google thing because he worked for Google. Yeah. However... There's a thing going on with music licensing. They, they, two companies, you've seen ASCAP and BMI, you've seen those letters sure, yep. with regard to music. They control about 90% of the music royalties in the United States. Hmm. And that's who, get, that's who gets musicians. Uh, I mean, that's, that, they control the licensing for old school jukeboxes and musical streaming and all, any way music money is collected, it basically goes through those two gatekeepers. And there's been, since the 1940s, consent decrees in place to help minimize the damage their, their virtual duopoly could do. I mean, they could charge ridiculous rates mm-hmm. and screw everybody. Mm-hmm. And the consent decrees get periodically... Uh, Every once, every every so often, the the uh, Justice Department looks at them and, and some somebody sometimes threatens to get rid of them or or reduce their their reach their power, mm-hmm. uh, which is bad for the music industry. It's bad for musicians. It's bad for radio. It's bad for everybody. Um, you set up these non musical people, these non business people, these rights. To, to charge confiscatory rates, which cost the musicians, which cost the radio stations, which cost everybody except for them. Right. Um, and for some reason, Del Ram's looking at, he's talking about getting rid of them altogether. Huh. Well, <laughs> that's, as, as Bill Barr is trying to build perhaps the biggest antitrust cases in half a century, he's got the head of his antitrust division <laughs> removing 
antitrust protections in another industry. I mean, conceivably, the Google could call Delram as a witness to undermine Barr's case. Yeah. Because he's, he's doing the exact opposite on antitrust of what Barr's trying to do on Google and Facebook and all these companies. So it's, 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 uh, it's, it's counter it's countermanding what Barr is trying to do, which of course means it's countermanding what Trump's trying to do. We elected Trump. We did not elect Mark M. Delram. Right. So I guess the question would be, uh, I mean, I'm really pleased that we're seeing an antitrust investigation going forward with Google, Facebook, and the others that uh, control so much power and have yes. so much power. So this is a very good thing. But I think what you're demonstrating is that uh, we have people who are trying to resist the the uh, attempts and the objectives of the president and the Department of Justice and uh, Bill Barr to uh, to get to the bottom of this. And I think it's just in such important work. Well, and I, I look. I used to be about as anti-antitrust as anybody on the planet. But then the Internet came along, and we, we gave them, the Internet companies, this huge, crony government gift of Section 230. Right. Um, a friend of mine, you know, I, I, I like my writing. I'm very fond of my writing. Every once in a while, someone writes a line, and I, I sent it. He's a buddy of mine. I sent it to him. He said, I wish I'd written this. He said, we're the only country in the world that protects platforms from people, but not people from platforms. Hmm. And that's what Section 230 does. And, and they got so huge because they can't get sued. They have this giant carve-out of protection that no one else has. So, of course, a lot of their growth has been cannibalized from legacy industries that didn't have this protection. Well, and the, the other thing, too, is they're abusing Section 230 and using it for political purposes and weaponizing it, which is quite... Well, but, here's, yes, they are. There's a, there's a, it's a, Section 230, is, you know, unlike most law, it's very short. It's not a lot of words. Yeah. But one of, the, one of the things they abuse is there's an in-good-faith clause. I've written about this, where they're supposed to remove content in good faith. Well, it's hard to justify in-good-faith when you take a pro-life group like live action and classify it as pornography to then justify taking it off the air. Yeah. Live action is just a pro-life group. They don't do anything pornographic. They don't even do, you know, some of the pro-life groups do the pictures and stuff of right. aborted fetuses. They don't do any of that. Right. They're just a pro-life group. And, and to justify pulling them off Instagram, I think it was Instagram, maybe it was Pinterest. It was Pinterest that said, okay, they're pornography. Now we're, now because pornography is one of the, uh, you know, approved classes to remove, we've classified this as pornography, so now we can, yeah. we can delete You know, Seton, we need to do something about this, and I hope we can get to the bottom of this through this investigation. I really appreciate your commentary on the show. Again, lessgovernment.org is the website, lessgovernment.org. You can also visit Less Government on Facebook. Seton, I always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you or a family member suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone, and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I can only imagine. Imagine prior to knee surgery, and you can too. Call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. They will thoroughly evaluate your condition, provide personalized, state-of-the-art treatment, and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle. At the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery. For an initial consultation, call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, located off Tammy Amy Trail in Bonita Springs, at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. 
With all the threats to faith, family, and freedom, Christian Television Network, the Faith Center Fort Myers, and Florida Pastors Network invite you to Healing Our Nation Tuesday, September 22nd at 7 o'clock p.m. for a free panel discussion on engaging and impacting culture with a biblical worldview. Distinguished national guest Bishop E.W. Jackson, founder of Stand Foundation, staying true to America's national destiny. John Stenberger, founder of Florida Family Policy Council and called to vote, along with historian and best-selling author Dr. William Federer, want to equip you to effectively respond to the moral and social issues impacting our community. Join us live on television September 22nd at 7 o'clock p.m. on CTN Southwest Florida or live streaming at ctntelevision.com or in person at the Faith Center. Details, ctntelevision.com. That's ctntelevision.com. Or call 239-543-7200. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. We have with us the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. Mayor Bill, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, Bob, always a pleasure on a Thursday. (laughs) Thank you, Bill. I know that you're uh, up in upstate New York, anywhere near Rochester. Yeah, we're we're about an hour from from Rochester. So uh, a lot of violence going on, Uh, the... uh, the, the head of the police department, the, or sheriff's office, I, I guess it's police department, they've uh, resigned. Any thoughts? Uh, you know, Bob, it's just, it's just like the, the rest of the country where these incidents have happened. And, you know, this was, this was, uh, was very strange because it was, what, seven months uh, you know, ago that this happened, you know, because they showed, you know, it was snowing and whatever. And, you know, you, you just wonder... If, if they would only bring them to the forefront, uh, they probably could save a lot, save themselves a lot of aggravation, uh, as this one was. Boy, I'll tell you what, their heads rolling. Yeah, no doubt, and probably probably warranted. Well, you but, know, um, the the thing is, the yeah. if I get the story right, the mayor actually criticized the head of the police. Uh, and uh, called him out publicly. I mean, without that kind of uh, personal, he, instead of going through the process of having an investigation, just speaking right. out first, and uh, d- you know, then of course he resigns. So does uh, uh, the 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 rest of his leadership team. And where is she going to be right now with uh, you know providing security and law enforcement in uh, in Rochester? Well, that's that's exactly right. I mean, it throws themselves they they throw themselves into a into a real box when when those things happen, and uh, you know it's just it's it's sad to watch, Bob. It yeah. really is. No, it um, certainly is. You, oh, you you just don't know what's what what's coming up next, and um, and and people have to wonder, which they do. It's like wow, you know. Um, but you know what? We'll we'll move on and. Um, at least it certainly has come to the forefront and being recognized. And absolutely. I think it's a big difference down the road. Uh, absolutely. I think more and more people are getting concerned about uh, security and uh, uh, law enforcement. They want to make sure that, that their property and their person is going to be protected, their family is going to be protected. So, Right. Exactly. Any, any, any good scoop in uh, Naples? Well, yeah, and I I did not um, I don't know if it's made today's uh, uh, paper or not, but you know, council had a meeting uh, uh, on Tuesday, and it was a special called meeting. The um, they uh, were going to you know they they're looking for a new attorney, a uh, new firm, and uh, at what happened at that meeting? They scrapped the whole they scrapped that plan. And they told um, uh, Jim Fox, who's our who's our attorney um, with Retzelandris, that uh, um, they're going to go with a, uh, uh, a national, well, not national search team, but a, a search team or a headhunter in Florida to see if they could find a, uh, a firm that wants to represent Naples. And they told Jim, from my understanding, is that they would give him a month-to-month contract uh, and... Um, the bottom line was uh, 
his firm did not care for that offer whatsoever. And to the best of my knowledge, Bob, either yesterday or or even day before, he um, he told uh, the council, "No, no deal. Uh, we're Retzel and Andrus is going to be out of there in forty five days." No so kidding. So when you talk about when you talk about um, uh, uh, well, like we were just talking, not that it's related, but leaving somebody in a lurch, the city is going to be in in a real box. And and I don't blame him one bit for doing that or the firm. They have been a tremendously good, wonderful law firm for the city of Naples. And why this council has decided to make a change is beyond me. Um, and uh, it's very annoying. But if you didn't see it in today's paper, I guarantee you it'll be in. Uh, huh. It'll be in very soon. That's interesting. So, uh, just uh, this, I'm begging a question on the obvious here, but it, I think it'd be helpful for our listeners to understand what is the impact of having that. What what, what types of things uh, can go wrong when you don't have somebody in that position? Oh my gosh, Bob! Just from the from the minute, which are not minute, but from you know all the lawsuits that come in, and there are a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Whether it's litigation over property litigation over slip and falls you know somebody's walking on a sidewalk and they fall the city gets sued um there's everything you can possibly imagine and the city attorney and their firm uh, handle all the litigation um that comes in and it it can be any kind of legal that you can think of the city gets yeah and so when the city loses a city attorney or you you get yourself into a bind um, I, I have to wonder, you know, you can't have just somebody step in intermittently who has no idea of the cases pending. I mean, there's cases pending that, that probably could be a year, two years old, okay, yeah. that are back and forth. And it has to do with zoning permits and, and all kinds of things. Yeah. So... so- what, I'll be curious to see what they do. Yeah, what what prompted the search? Do you think why why the decision to even make a change? And in, in fact, I think uh, he, obviously uh, he served with you, his firm served with you for a while, so you certainly have a lot oh, of confidence. Oh, for years, for years, Bob and and we had an attorney uh, who who was on counsel, Sam Sod, who had said at one time a few years ago, he said, "Are you kidding me? For what they charge us?" He says, "You're getting a steal." He says because they've been really good to the city and. Their result, their their track record has been really, really good. They have won some some amazing cases for us, and they work hard. I just it it absolutely baffles me where the mayor is going with this uh, um, uh, theory or whatever that we needed a new firm. Uh, look, they bid with the rest of you know that they want to go out for a bid just to see what the market is or whether there's anybody there. Fine, but to come up with the idea that. Uh, that the that the city needs new legal counsel. There's no grounds for it. Yeah, absolutely none. So we're going to have to watch and see how this one plays out. But I feel bad. You know, I mean, hey, I'm a I'm a citizen of the of the city, and um, I I don't like it one bit. I I want like you said before, you want to know the security, just like the, with police and fire and everything else, that you have competent legal. Uh, people representing you okay absolutely um, and the city because it's taxpayers dollars so it'll it'll it will be interesting hey if you got a second what do you think about the uh about the campaign going on about the uh, but presidential campaign yes well yes. it's it's kind of interesting to me i'm uh uh yeah, uh, right. I just understand how how Biden is being protected and how the where the support is coming from. He, he apparently had a hard time pronouncing words yesterday in a speech that he gave. He tra- said trade deficit 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 of pharmaceutical induce and prices on prescription jugs. <laughs> he's, he's, wow. He's, you know, he's just he uh, he's demonstrating. I think. I uh, look. I don't want to make. I'm not making fun of it. Uh, but the, the fact of the matter is, we're here talking about electing a president of the United States. The guy. The guy losing his, his uh, mental faculties. I just don't understand. Well, let, let me just say this. I heard, Bob, that he has had um, uh, a speech impediment, okay, Yeah. Uh, for a long time. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but that's certainly, and, and again, I'm not, t- I'm not going anywhere with this. I, I just thought if that is, if that truly is the case, and it might be, that might explain the mispronunciation of words. Yeah. You know, but who knows? I mean, you know, it's just this campaign 
I, I think it's going to get a lot uglier within the next couple of months. What do you think? I think definitely, you know, it's just one thing after the other. Now Woodward's come out with his book, Rage. Why do you think he called it Rage? I, you know, he's a never-Trumper for sure. And, of course, it's not right. going to get any traction because, uh, you know, obviously, it, first it's the uh, no respect for the military. Now it's no respect for coronavirus. They're going to keep on coming week after week with stuff. Yep. Just yep. the beginning. Hey, Mayor Bill, it's always a pleasure to get your commentary here in the show. I uh, really appreciate it. Hey, Bob, that. ditto. Have a, great, have a great one, and if you're playing golf today, hit him straight. All right, thanks so much, Bill. Well, that's a wrap here on uh, today's show. Thank you uh, so much for joining us. Uh, tomorrow, we're going to visit with uh, William Yateman. He is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. We'll be visiting with Sharon Kenny, the author of Where Should We Eat? Uh, she specializes in dining, co commentary on dining, entertainment, and travel. And Dave Vigo is the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep as well. I'm hoping, I haven't heard back from Byron, uh, Byron Donalds. I'm hoping that he'll be joining us as well. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. <laughs>